You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that, when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this wonderful privilege that it is to gather together as family. Uh, Thank you for this all-in moment uh, where we have your word open before us that we can pray um, and we can have conversations of significance and point one another to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, We rejoice in the gift of this new day and we ask, may the light of your presence, O God, set our hearts on fire with love for you, now and forever. Amen. Well, up to this point in our series, uh, have your Bible open to chapter 3 in, uh, in the one book of 1 Peter. Up to this point in our series, we've heard a lot about what your calling is if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. We've heard a lot about our calling as followers of Jesus. Oh, this wind, I love it already. Um, We've already heard over the past few weeks that there's an inheritance ahead, isn't there, if you're a follower of Jesus? If you're in God's family, if you're in God's family, there's also a family business and there's a way of living that we carry, that we, that we act. There's a be holy, there's a live in this way. Uh, Peter's also spoken to some practical outworkings for how this is going to look in our lives, whether we're a citizen in society, a, a worker at work, a wife or a husband, or just as we saw in our closing sermon last week, just all of you. And it was in last week's passage, as Peter was summing up this sort of train of thought, he said, all of you, bless, be a blessing, not a curse, be a blessing, bless people, for to this you were called, this is your calling. And the whole way through, Peter hasn't just left this out with some big ethereal idea. That's not just words, but he's pointed to concrete examples, hasn't he? He's pointed to a great high priest, a great king, our great prophet, our great saviour, Jesus Christ. He's made sure to keep pointing to the model and motivation for our living, isn't he? The Son of God, our resurrected, our ruling, returning and reigning saviour, Jesus. And now we get to this week. And actually, we see that Peter is making a slight change in his train of thought. And it's almost as if he can hear the feedback from his readers. It's almost as if he's done a slight Q&A, you know, midway through. We'll do a Q&A later. We look forward to that. It's almost as if he's done a slight Q&A midway through his sermon. And he's hearing these words come back to him. The, the people, you know, as they are dispersed in all the different churches. And they're saying, yeah, Peter, good logic. Love the citizenship stuff. Love the family business stuff. It's helpful. But bro. Do you know what we're really going through here? They're killing us. Literally, <laughs> they're killing us. And I mean, like, thanks, thanks to the leadership. Appreciate it. Thanks to the letter. Uh, thanks to the email. We're keen to do what you're saying, but I'm pretty sure that they'll just keep killing us. 
So Peter, can I just say, like, this Jesus life, my identity, I hear you, I get it, but dude, we are suffering. We're suffering. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'm scared. And I think what we read today is Peter sensing their situation. And now he very pastorally within this letter adjusts his flow of thought. And what we see over this week and the next two weeks to come is that Peter begins to address his readers with this big concern in mind. And he starts talking about living for God, living for God in the midst of suffering. Living for God in the midst of suffering. So today I want to invite you to keep your Bible open with me as we consider suffering for our obedience to Jesus as we consider suffering for our obedience to Jesus. And what we're going to see as we look at today's verses is that the reasons that God gives for us to continue on in the Christian life, in faith and obedience to Christ, the reasons that He gives, they're gospel reasons, they're reasons that are worth pursuing, they're reasons that find a hope, a living hope in the resurrected Lord and Saviour. So let's pick off where we left off last week. Um, this will still be running through the minds of the readers, and so it should be still running through our minds. Uh, Peter, at the end of chapter 3, leading up to verse 12 that we just heard read, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. Be a blessing. For to this you were called. Do you want a calling on your life? Here's one. Be a blessing. That you may obtain a blessing. Now, Peter follows on with some logic. First thing we see here is the logic of living life in God's family. The logic of living life in God's family. Peter says in verse 13, Now, guys, who is there to harm you if you are zealous zealous for doing good? If you are wanting to do good? Like, think about it. Who is there to condemn you if you are blessing people and doing good in society? Like, seriously, like, let's think, think about it for a moment. Like, that's going to be counterintuitive on society, isn't it? So it's like, look at all the great work that these guys are doing. Kill them! That's kind of what he just wants them to get think about from the start. He's, he's giving them, I think, some ways, in some ways, a slight reassurance that whatever opposition you do, do incur as a follower of Jesus by being a blessing and doing good for Jesus, like Jesus, whatever opposition it is, be reassured. It's, it's going to be nonsensical opposition. It'll be nonsensical opposition. Now, as nice as it would have been for Peter to stop his letter right here, <laughs> Just be like, there you go, guys. There's some logic. Sign off. Done. He can't. He has to get into the nitty and gritty, doesn't he? He gets into the real life experience of his readers because the reality is for them, and I think even for some of us, they are being harmed. They are suffering in the face of doing good. So Peter goes on and he tells them, there's hope for those in God's family who suffer. There's hope for, God's fam- for those in God's family who suffer. We read from verse 14. But even if, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Uh, Peter here, he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. He has had a ripping like three-year internship under the leadership of Jesus. Um, And I'm pretty sure I would put good money on on what it is, I think, the sermon that Peter would have heard the most in Jesus' itinerant preaching schedule as he went around between the towns. I reckon the sermon that, Je- that Peter would have heard the most preached by Z- Jesus was probably the Beatitudes. It's probably that's what Jesus would have kept on repeat, going town to town to town to town to town, as he was turning upside down the law of Moses and being like, yeah, it just got real. I'm God in the flesh. And what do we see in the Beatitudes? What does Jesus preach that would have been running through Peter's head? Always, 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 always. From verse 9, we heard Joash read it this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Sound familiar? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, this is Jesus saying this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If you're going to stand up for me and you're persecuted, you are blessed, Jesus says. Verse 12, Jesus teaches, rejoice and be glad for your reward reward is great in heaven. 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter shares here for his Peter shares here to his readers, maybe people that didn't get a chance to hear from Jesus face to face that were there on the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain or whatever sermon it was. Jesus shares, shares to them, he says, here's a guarantee from the lips of God. God promises blessing to those that are bullying, bullied for being his. That's a pretty cool promise. God promises blessings to those that are being bullied for being his. But you know what that means? It means on your worst day of being persecuted by others because of your relationship with God, those are the days to actually be most celebrated. Why? Because those are the days that God rewards because he sees them as evidence that you are dedicated. Have you let the world silence you or talk you out of your relationship with God? Did my mic just blow up? No? God wants to remind you today that blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If you are getting persecution because you are bearing witness to the name of Jesus, you are blessed. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets for before you. We see in our passage today that there is hope for those in God's family who suffer. There's hope. And that's good news. But not only are those in God's family hopeful because of the blessing that God will honour, Peter speaks to the freedom, the freedom from fear that they can also have as they go on blessing and loving. They don't need to feel worried or scared. They don't need to feel worried or scared because, hey, it's one thing to be like, okay, I'm suffering and I'll be blessed, but man, I'm terrified. But Peter also, he like, you know, he's like, I see that and I raise you. You don't even have to be scared in those circumstances. He says there's freedom from fear for those in God's family who suffer. There's hope and there's freedom from fear. Halfway through verse 14, I hope you still have your Bible with you. Have no fear of them. Oh, that's good. Have no fear of them. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. When Jesus is your light your life will be noticed. Lights have a tendency of standing out, especially in a dark world. And God, God will always have the last word, no matter what people might say. Peter leans into this attitude for the Christian in suffering. He says, churches, Christian, you, you can replace your worldly fear with the heavenly faith. He says you can, that you're upholding and you're honouring and you're endorsing of Jesus' values as shown through your life, that will cultivate and it will reflect a hopeful life and it's a life that God will bless. And as you seek to honour Christ in your hearts as holy, God wants the Christian who might be tempted to be scared to do that, He wants them to remember that those who keep their conduct consistent with Christ's example, the world can never call that conduct truly corrupt, can they? If you're following the, way, the one who is the way and the truth and the life, and you're seeking to live like him, there is no accusation that someone can bring against you that will be false. Did I say that right? You know what I meant. Yeah. It's good news. He's saying, don't worry about the bullies. Don't worry about the critics. Let them hate as hate. But rather, just continue to quietly commit your conduct to Christ. You're free to please him who is the true king. You're free now to do that. And there's no, you have no obligation to feel like you need to appease those in this world that think they're the king. No obligation. Free from that. Good news. I love how this lands in just 
the life that we all, that so much of us live today, the Instagrammed social media life, always trying to please the masses that might just look in on our account, put our best foot forward, put a nice filter on, polish it up, look really good. Jesus is like, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to please them. He's like, I died for you. When you're at your worst, I gave you my best. So it's like, I'm cleaning you up. I love you. You don't have to impress the world. You are free from trying to appease any critics. You have God's acceptance. You don't need man's acceptance. Live in pursuit of him. And you might suffer, but you'll be blessed. I would take the approval of God any day over 20 million likes on my Instagram posts. Just saying. I reckon you can too. There's freedom from fear for those in God's family who suffer. And don't miss this. There's also a view here that Peter works out. There's a view of what the Christian life will look like here. If you call yourself a Christian, there's a view of what it should look like. The genuine belief in Jesus, genuine belief, a belief that has authentically committed to going God's way is a life that should not be able to hide that decision. You can't be a closet Christian. Like someone that has a real, genuine hope in Jesus, the one who changes you and changes everything, someone who is seeking to honour Him, they won't be able to remain hidden. You won't be able to remain hidden. Man, why, why, like, why, do you, why don't you speak like everyone else? Like, why do you spend your money in that way? Like, why do you invest your time in that and, and not in this? Like, oh, how come you reacted like that and not in that way? Shouldn't you be worried about, aren't you concerned about, why haven't you? Sometimes the answers to these questions is really simple. And when it is, Peter encourages us to speak gently and with love. I live differently because I don't live for man's approval. I know I have God's approval. I'm free to love that person because I know that God has loved me. And I know that deep down, I'm even so much worse than that person. But sometimes also the answer is complex to those questions. It's a complex answer. And you've got, you know, it's not an elevator conversation where you've got 30 seconds to, you know, to explain your life decisions for what you've done and what, you're, what you've been called to, what you feel God's calling you to from the truth of his word. But when you do have time to explain it out talk it through and build that relationships. Show respect, Peter says. Take time with that conversation. Be loving. Don't slander anyone. Don't maliciously try and tear down the false things of this world so you can sort of put yourself on your own pedestal. Peter says, don't do that. Don't cause offence. Like just because you have the truth about an issue doesn't give you the right or the reason to slam those that are false. Like I look, think about the personal work of Jesus in this, so gracious, so gracious. Like the, I'll have conversations sometimes and people, someone will be talking to me and I have like this sarcasm thing going on in my head and I have like this rebuttal little reel that goes on and it's just like what that person just said, I just would love to slam them with this comment right now that would just shut them down so hard and I would feel so good. But I don't, often I don't. Try not to. I'm ashamed that I have that reel in my head at all. <laughs> now, think about Jesus. He was encountering life with the Pharisees all the time, like the, re the religious dudes that I knew it all. And they were like, oh, Jesus, why are you doing this? Oh, Jesus, why are you doing that? Oh, Jesus, you're not really the son of God. Oh, Jesus, you're blaspheming. And at any point, Jesus could have just like, boom, he could have shut them down like intellectually, just, and often he does, but he does it so graciously. And if not that, he'd be like, he could have just been like, he did. Like he could have done that. Well within his right. He's God. And I mean, I'm just saying, like it's a miracle that any of us are here breathing at all. Like no one righteous, not even one, no one that does good, no one that seeks God, we've all turned away. But God in his grace and his mercy, he doesn't retaliate with ferocity. He retaliates with mercy, doesn't he? So we see here, Peter reminds that for those that are really repentant, your commitment to Jesus will be obvious. You won't be able to hide your life that is hidden in Christ. Now, there's also this that's worth noticing. 
And this goes um, with slandering and suffering. You see how it's a when and not an if? You see how it's a when and not an if? When I first started riding a motorcycle, got my L's, I was super pumped up, bought a motorbike, got my P's, which meant you can get a bit of bigger motorbike. I was feeling very confident, very pleased with myself. I got a very nice bike at a very good price. I remember talking to my dad, who was an avid motorbike rider, and he's just like, look, Louis, it's not if you have a crash, it's when you have a crash. So don't get confident, wear your leathers, <laughs> and when you crash, just make sure you don't kill yourself. It's not if, it's when you are slandered in this passage. Peter is saying it's not something, but Peter also says it's not something you have to worry about, this slandering, this suffering. Rather, rather, it's something that when that slandering comes, you can be reassured. Can't you? I think you can. But for those of us that are getting a lot of resistance and slander and suffering and rejection for doing good, living righteously and living like Jesus, like when you're getting opposition because of those things, this can be really encouraging. This can be really encouraging. It shows you that, hey, you're on the right track. Like you're worth, like the, the evil enemy of the day is worth considering, that, like it considers you worth trying to stop. It's, it's you, it's an evidence that you're living like your saviour, saviour, you're the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And this is really cool. I like thinking about this. You know, like when boys like girls in primary school, and what do they do? They don't buy them flowers, they bully them. Because then maybe she'll like me. Which is powerful logic when I was seven years old. But I think it appears the same here too. Sometimes people's inquisi inquisitiveness into our faith can often come in the form of an insult because maybe it's masking genuine intrigue. So when you are slandered, be encouraged. You don't need to be scared and you can have a hope that Christ is with you and that you will be blessed. So, hopefully we're looking different to those in the world that have rejected Jesus. Hopefully it's a good test to ask yourself, do I look like Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour? Or am I hiding in the closet and not actually doing what it is that he's called me to do? Now, Peter, he's spoken about not needing to fear suffering. Uh, he's, he's, but he also realises that as he's spoken about these sort of, uh, you know, sort of distant concepts, he, he still realises that, not fearing suffering still doesn't make suffering hurt any less, right? Suffering is still suffering. So Peter goes on. He wants to still dig a little deeper and get under the hood for his readers and for us today. And he wants us, he wants his readers to be reassured, God wants us to be reassured, that the presence of suffering doesn't always mean that you've done something wrong. The presence of suffering doesn't also mean that you've done something wrong. There's a comfort here for those in God's family who suffer. Okay, now I want to bring this out because there's a brand of Christian faith that will say that your suffering is because of your lack of faith. That your suffering is because of something that, uh, it's a lack of obedience in a particular area and God is, he's, that's, that is the only reason that you're suffering. There's a lot more reasons why you might suffer, okay? Here's one of them. Peter writes, it is better, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Now, we're going to think about this more over the next two weeks, but there is a type of suffering that is within the will of God. There's a type of suffering that is within the will of God. Good to note here, there is a type of suffering that we just deserve it because we've done dumb stuff, okay? Like if you do something stupid, you probably will suffer. That's not what Peter's saying here, but there is a type of suffering that God will allow and that God will use. And there's encouragement in that, right? That if God allows a little bit of suffering in your life, because if it's God's will and if God's in control of it and if he's overseeing it and if it's within his control, it's within a divinely orchestrated will of a loving and powerful and good God who always will want the best for you. It's as a father might allow a child to fall over when he's running or when a, a father might allow a child to, to just have that awkward encounter, to 
allow, that was when a father allows a little bit of suffering to come in on his, on his son or his daughter so that they might, within their character, create some resilience, it might teach them a lesson, it might strengthen their resolve, it might build their courage. Sometimes God allows suffering also to show his power to others through us because he's like, you know what? I can let Louis suffer through this. He'll be okay. And actually his witness through suffering will be good for someone else. Like that's a bit of a weird deflection. But sometimes we can say in our suffering, I don't know why this is happening, but this is within the will of God. And maybe this suffering isn't just for me, but it's so I can show someone that God is enough in this. It's so that someone can look at my life and be like, man, he should be really, really, really annoyed right now. Or he should be really hurting. Why isn't he? I've heard a lot of stories of people coming to faith because of the example of someone's endurance through suffering, which without God makes no sense whatsoever. And if you want some more reading on that, I can recommend to you the Bible. And uh, there's a great book in there called Job, where we see that at work. So here's a great encouragement. It's good for us to know that there's types of suffering that's within the will of God. And it's also good for us to know that even if our suffering is because we've done something dumb, your suffering's never pointless. Suffering will never be pointless. God will always allow suffering to grow us, to shape us, and to make us more like Christ. That's good news. Suffering is never wasted. Suffering is never gonna be pointless. And if you don't believe me on that, have a look at Jesus. Have a look at the life of Jesus. Hebrews chapter five, it says this about Jesus. This blows my mind. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Who's been there before? God, I don't know what to do. All I've got is weeping right now. He's suffering. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, as this, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That is super profound that the son of the most high God learned obedience through what he suffered. How much more do we have to learn and can we learn through our suffering when it's under the divine control of a loving Lord and Father? Now, slight side note here, but this is just one of the reasons why Christianity just like knocks every single other religion out of the ballpark, isn't it? Like if you're just coming and having a logical conversation about if you know if you had to sit back and you're looking at the uh, you know the shelf of uh, religions and you're reading the nutritional information on the back, it's like which is going to be the best one for me? And you just wanted to bring just pure logic and you know nothing else, just logic. You re- get pull the Hinduism off there, off the shelf. Hmm. Okay. What what what's it say about suffering? Okay. Suffering in Hinduism is you're paying for a previous life of evil that you've done. Just deal with it. There you go. Man, that's encouraging. Oh yeah, go the Hinduism. Islam, suffering, you've stuffed up, deal with it, be better. Here's the book, be better. Off you go, be better. That's suffering from an Islamic perspective. Buddhism, how's Buddhism, right? Suffering, no, no, mate, there is no suffering. There is no suffering. You are only suffering because you desire other things and you can't get them. You only think you're suffering. Mm, That's right. I'm putting that back on the shelf. Atheism, suffering, mate, survival of the fittest, mate. You obviously suck. It's just like love, suffering, isn't it? It's just like love. It's only a chemical reaction in your brain and don't worry, you'll be dead soon. Putting that back on the shelf. Take Jesus off the shelf. Check out Jesus, son of God, savior of the world, the great God man. What is the Christian perspective on suffering? What have we heard today? God says, Jesus says, I see your suffering. I see it and I'm not gonna be distant. I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna enter in and I'm gonna help. I'm gonna release and I'm gonna rescue and I'm gonna restore. Yes, yes, I know full well that much of this suffering 
is your own fault. But do you know what? Do you know what? I love you. I love you too much to let you go. I'm here. I've come down to give you a way out, to give you a fresh start. In fact, I'm here to free you from an even worse type of suffering than what you're feeling now. That's why I'm here. The suffering of the judgment of God. I love you too much to let you to endure this without any reason. And I also love you so much that I don't want you to endure hell. So quick, come on, let's trade places. I will suffer in your place on the cross and you can take my place in heaven and I'll go through hell instead. That's a Christian perspective on suffering. I don't know about you, but that encourages me to uh, be a part of a church that is all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Jesus says to us, how can you embrace me so that I can take that suffering on your behalf? He says, look, just trust that I can save you. You're not earning anything. You don't have to try and deserve it. You don't have to be better. You don't have to clear your brain and pretend that it's not there. Take my hand. Trust me. Let me lead you home. We'll walk together. That's beautiful. That's the good news of the gospel. So suffering, justified or not, as a follower of Jesus, it's always within God's will. It's always within God's control. And it will result in God making sure that it will be a benefit to the believer and it will bring Him glory and you joy as you deepen and enjoy more your relationship with Him as you feel His comfort and His blessing. There's comfort for those in God's family who suffer. Peter now shifts slightly as we continue on, coming up to verse 18. He now shifts as he's been doing and he wants to get our eyes focused back on and locked in on Jesus Christ. And he wants us now to see that Christ's suffering had purpose, didn't it? And Christ's suffering was also within the Father's plans. He wants us to see that suffering was the way that we even got the invite into, Christ, into God's family, wasn't it? Verse 18. This has to be a fridge verse this week. Write it out, put it on the fridge. This is awesome. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. That's some good news. Christ, he lived a life of radically blessing sinners you and me. And this led to radical suffering for him, didn't it? The point of death, death on a cross. But what did it lead to? Radical reconciliation between sinners and God. Wow. As we think about suffering as a Christian, it's worth always remembering that suffering is what made adoption into the family of God a possible in the first place? Suffering is part of our family identity because it was first felt by our big brother and King Jesus Christ, God the Son. Both He and God and the Spirit were willing to endure hor horrific suffering first to make way for us back into relationship with Him, to restore which was broken at the fall and at the curse of the world. Seeing that we were far off, suffering was the path that he took to bring us back in so that we could be family, so that we could be priests, so that we who are once far off could be brought near by the blood of Christ. Suffering is how we're even a part of the family in the first place. And that makes me think it's just like, if God was willing to do that for me, if I'm gonna live a life for him, I'm gonna in, I will embrace anything if it's, suffering for righteousness' sake. Jesus brought us to God through suffering, and we can also bring others into the family of God through suffering also, can't we? Do you know that your willingness to endure suffering, maybe it's a willingness to endure emotional suffering or physical suffering, mental suffering, financial suffering, it can be a witness to the world. Now, we've 
brushed on this already a little bit, but they can, there's a reactive type of witness, there's also a proactive type of suffering witness. Now, when I say this, straight away we go to the big examples, don't we? We go to the big examples, yes! I'm gonna get on a plane, I'm gonna fly over to the persecuted church, and I'm gonna go spread the good news to these people that have never heard the gospel in their language before, and I might get killed with a spear. That's where my brain goes when I think about suffering for the spread of the gospel. But there's, it's not only the big ways, there's also the small ways, isn't there? And, I mean, look, we've been using the word suffering, but it's probably perceived suffering. In the West, it's probably inconvenience, right? It's, pro- it's inconvenience. Like Peter calls us, this whole flow of thought in terms to endure suffering, it's from the call to do that, to endure that, because you're making an effort to bless people. Your call is to be a blessing to this world. And so often, many of us, we won't do that because we're going to suffer the inconvenience. Oh boy. Really? Let someone change lanes in front of me? Share a kind word of encouragement. That's going to take at least 20 seconds. And I have to think about what that person's doing well and like acknowledge that and then share it and be vulnerable for a second. Oh, oh man, no, give up three minutes to talk to this person and make them feel welcome. Oh, dang. Oh, $30 to help provide a meal for this person that just had a baby. No, 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 no. It's too inconvenient. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can suffer in that way. You know the gospel, you know the story of what God has done in and through the personal work of Jesus? The story of him blessing us is one of him walking through suffering. It's him giving up everything. It was more than an inconvenience, it was death. Death is inconvenient and he didn't deserve it. Son of God, perfect. So for a moment, I just want us to think practically, like how can we be a people that bless people? Because I think we can endure a little bit of inconvenience as we live out our call from God and obedience to Christ. You know, there's a whole evangelistic school of thought on how to bless people in this way, and they use a really clever acronym to do it, to help people remember, how can I bless someone and, and live out this call? The acronym is B-L-E-S-S. The acronym is BLESS. Yeah, someone's, someone's very clever, you know? They must have been a Baptist pastor or something, and they did that really well. BLESS, what does that stand for? How can you bless someone this week? Begin with prayer, B. Begin with prayer. Pray for people in your life that may be far from God and ask God, how do you want me to use the resources you've given me, the skills that you've given me, the gifts that you've given me to bless this person? Ask God to give you an opportunity. Begin with prayer. You can then bless people by L, listening. Listening. By listening to those people, listening with care. Pay attention to what people are saying. You know, pay attention to what people hope for, what is bringing them pain in their life. Listen to evidences of God's work in their life. Like we're so rubbish at listening in conversations, aren't we? Like I know I do this all the time. Like I'm having a conversation with someone and you're in a group and then someone mentions something over here and all that's floating around in my head is just like, oh, that's right, I had an experience like that. I'm going to share that out loud. That's not listening. That's just like, I want to share me again. It's like, shut up, Louie. You're not that impressive. Listen to the person you talk with. Like, it is amazing. Like, I've had, uh, I was talking with one older fellow when he came and visited the church where I used to be going going to, and um, he was just like, oh, I was just so encouraged by just, I just, you know, just felt so, it was just such a warm environment that I got to be a part of there. I was like, oh, tell me, like, what what was that? What Like, what led to that? Like, you know, I'm interested. He's just like, well, there was a guy there and he, he chatted to me for like 10 minutes. And I just, we just had like a really good conversation. He like listened. Like this is revolutionary stuff, isn't it? Like listening to people. <laughs> but that is a way that we can bless people. Pray, begin with prayer, listen, eat, eat, eat together. How does Jesus do the predominant time of his ministry? He just shares meals. And you know what? A really good time to be listening to people as, as you've got food in your mouth and as they're sharing their story. And then you've got serve, serve people with love. Be attentive to people's needs. Be attentive to the opportunities that God has provided to you through an answer to your prayer, and then you can attend to their needs, and you can be a blessing to them. Maybe it's a 
an ear to, to, for, for them to speak to. Maybe it's just a, a face to smile to. Maybe it's something, a physical provision. Serve them. And then lastly, S, story. Story. Remember we thought about it a few weeks ago? When we do our, when we're sharing the good news of Jesus as we obey the Great Commission, it's got to come with words, isn't it? It can't just be our actions. People have to hear why we're doing what we're doing. And I think this acronym, BLESS, is really helpful because what it does is it cultivates a relationship where people, they don't care what you know unless they know that you care. They don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And by the time you spend some time praying for them, listening to them, eating with them, serving them, often that's a pretty good platform. That's a pretty good connection there for them to actually be willing to hear, man, why do you live the way that you live? And we say, well, it's not me. It's actually what God is doing through me. It's Christ at work through me. And I want to bless people because actually that's the calling I have in my life from God. I read about it in this book called One Peter. We're doing it in church. We meet on the corner up there. You should come along sometime. I'll, I'll bring you. I'll pick you up. Is, it, is tomorrow a good time? Yeah, let's do that. It, it, it can be that easy. I went to a party once, and uh, there was two guys from work there. Uh, it was a work party, and they just got... It was worth going because my goal was just like, I only get one of these guys to church. And uh, they were in a perhaps uh, less than uh, thoughtful state um, well into the party because of some of the beverages that they had decided to consume. And I said, hey, mate, I've come to the party. Will you reckon you come to church with me tomorrow morning? And like, yeah, if you pick me up, I'll be there. That's all I needed. They came to church the next day. They got to hear the gospel. Hung over. But hey, making, you know, go, make, go there for make disciples. You know, baptize. Anyway, we'll get there. Pray for them. I'm still praying for them. The Bible teaches us that blessing people can bring them to God. The Bible teaches us that the Christian is meant to be a person who blesses the world. Are you blessing others? Today, you can remind yourself that the blessing that Christ has lavished upon you, today, that it's, today you can remember that for you, it's also more blessed to give than to receive. And today you can ask God to show you who and how you can follow in the footsteps of Jesus so you can bless someone as Christ has blessed you. You know what? You don't have to let the fear of suffering or the inconvenience stop you from that. You can hope in Christ and you can commit your life to Christ in that way. Now, I did mention verse 18. We're following the text pretty closely. If you've got your Bible in front of you, you're like, is Louis going to address that weird bit? You see the weird bit? There's that weird bit. The bit where it talks about Jesus preaching to imprisoned spirits. Peter randomly like quotes Noah and the flood. Like it is just, it's weird, okay? I, I, and, I, and I'm deliberating on how much I share and how much time we take up going in this part. Uh, I'm going to go really short here. Really short version. Not a lot of people can agree on what this is like saying, okay? It's, it's way out there. It is, it's out there. I don't know what, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm hopeful that the original readers that, that were reading this were like, oh yeah, Peter, that makes complete sense. Jesus proclaiming to the imprisoned spirits. Now, I'll give you a rough idea of what I think it is, but this is like a side moment, you know? It's, I only want to say what I want to say because it helps set up what I want to say next about baptism, all right? <laughs> um, what can we try and figure out from this little bit? A helpful reference point in this section as you read through it and discuss it in your gospel communities this week is the time reference point to Noah, okay? We go back to Genesis 6. There's what we see is God's righteous punishment for sin that he executes on the world by water, the flood, okay? Yet there's gospel in this moment because there's good news because God still shows mercy to some by providing the ark to rise up above the waters of judgment, okay? There is the judgment of God coming down, but God still provides a way of liberation and rescue. Now, what could Peter be referencing? Perhaps, maybe, long shot. There is also another time of judgment to come, not by water, by fire. God provides also another archetype image to rescue us from that. Jesus Christ. The ark, you know, that's a little, I see what you did there, Jesus moment in Genesis 6. The ark is a type of Christ. 
that when people entrust their lives to God by entering into an all-in, life-changing attachment and joining with Christ, as Noah's family went into a life-changing attachment into this ark, they are saved. We are saved. Now, this is a long shot. Perhaps this is what it means. Perhaps Peter is saying this to say, at the time of Noah, this physical physical plan of salvation was foolish to the world. Noah's living in a desert, building a boat, okay, and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, you know, like, and people are like, dude, what? That doesn't make any sense. And all the people are like, Noah, you're nuts. Now, <clears throat> I think Peter may be linking to Jesus and saying, there's a spiritual and eternal saving to come through the judgment of God. And rather than it being a, a foolish plan in the sight of people, it, that, the death of Jesus Christ, was a foolish plan inside of the spiritual realm. But actually, huh, I think the above could be reminding us that Jesus proved God's power, not only in the earthly realm, but also in the spiritual realm, at his resurrection, that somehow there is saving through this plan that looks really weird. You know, an ark to save people in the desert? I don't get it. God the Son dying on a cross to save people from sin? I don't get it. But then Jesus is like, yeah, nah, it works. That's a long shot, okay? And that's about as much as I'm prepared to say on the, on the issue. <laughs> and I bounce around to also say in your GCs, just don't spend all the time talking about this. Spend most of your time celebrating Jesus. If you do want a longer conversation about the weird stuff, Use this principle, okay? It's called the at least principle. It's a really helpful principle when you get to weird moments in the Bible. The at least principle. When you don't know what a text is saying exactly, go to what it at least says and then is backed up by the rest of the Bible, yeah? Like for this weird section, we can at least say Jesus is the boss, yeah? We can at least say evil spirits get imprisoned. We can at least say Jesus is alive and has all authority on heaven and earth. And, you know, that I think is enough. We don't need to get too nitty gritty. That's the weird stuff. Side note over. Let's close with what's a little more clear with what Peter says here in reference to baptism. That baptism, it's a picture of suffering. It was a picture of suffering that was our entrance into God's family. It was a picture of suffering that was our entrance into God's family. We read baptism, which corresponds to this, that this being the ark being brought safely through God's judgment, baptism being a symbol of being brought safely through God's judgment. Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Okay, baptism here shows us, we're taught, it's not a magic act, it's a humble plea. It's not a magic act, it's a humble plea. Okay, the, the power of baptism, it's in the appeal that the, the, the person being baptised makes, it's in the appeal, not in the application. I want to make that quite clear because there's some that will teach that simply the act or the process of mindless baptism somehow liberates people from evil spirits or some oppression. Baptism is an appeal. The power of baptism is in the appeal, not the application. If it was the latter, if it was just the process of dunking people in the water, I'd be up at Torquay Beach spear-tackling people down into the water and saying, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, boom, down. All right. Are you prepared to sacrifice, you know, commit your life to Jesus Christ, Lord and Saviour? And if that didn't work, you know, and if, you know, my th- you know, if, if my theology allowed for sprinkling, I would, just, I would just create the most powerful super, super soaker. I'd ask Dave, be like, can we get the fire truck down to, you know, you know down to the local footy game? Let's just, like, baptise everyone. You know, like, no Jesus, make Jesus, no. It's the power is in the appeal, not the application, okay? It's in the appeal. Now, ideally, you are baptised at the beginning of your Christian journey, appealing to God by admitting to God that you can't save you. Only you, only Jesus can save you. And baptism is this physical reminder 
of how you are saved and what is to come. Peter is very familiar with baptism. Okay, we know that he's done at least 3,000 of them. We read that in the book of Acts. He preaches a sermon at Pentecost and there's people there that's just like, whoa, yeah, we've stuffed up. We need to go Jesus' way, not our way. What must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptised and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism, it's that, that repentance moment. It's the turning around. It's a changing in thinking, in life direction. And it's saying to God, wash me, cleanse me from sin. That is your job. I can't do that. The only thing that I'm bringing to this deal is my sin that I need saving from. And it's the entrance into the faith family. You know, baptism being this picture of going into the watery tomb and then raised again to new life with Christ, dying to self, being brought to new life. Baptism, it's also a proclamation to others. At least one other person, right? There's at least got to be one person. You're like, you can't baptise yourself. Like, can't go down the beach. It's like, whoa, hey, I'm baptised again. You know, feeling good, feeling fresh. That doesn't work that way. That's not how we see it done in the Bible. It's you audibly, physically, spiritually saying, I am joining myself to the life of Christ. Let's go. This thing that we're doing is a bit weird, like going into the water and doing the whole dunking thing. Yep, but tell you what, it's memorable. It's really memorable. It means that my faith is not just this intellectual thing, but I've gone all in. I've taken the plunge, to use a pun. It's also following in Jesus' path. The first thing that Jesus does in his, in his ministry is he gets baptised. And now he had no sin to confess, but he was fulfilling all righteousness. And baptism, it reminds us that the entrance into the Christian faith, it's a reminder of what is to be expected in that life of faith. You know, what, you know how I started my Christian life? I started with a physical, cold, memorable moment of saying, I'm dying to myself and I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to take up my cross and follow after Him. There's a lot we could say in baptism. There's a couple of sermons on the podcast you can check out if you're interested. I can give you those references. But the question is, have you committed your life to Christ, not only with your mind, but also with your whole body too? Because you know what? Noah, he didn't just get into the ark with his mind. <laughs> it wouldn't have gone well. That's a good ark. Oh, it's wet. Okay, no, no, faith in the ark. I want to encourage you, I want to implore you to embrace that commitment by walking the walk and walking as Jesus walked. As Peter said, repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Make that appeal to God in that way. So to close, Peter talks about our family identity. We've heard it. There's the call of the baptised believer to bless instead of curse. And we will bless even in the face of persecution and suffering. Why? Because we know that we can have hope in suffering. We don't have to fear suffering. That God is with us in suffering. That He'll take us through suffering. That He will use suffering. And that even others will come to faith as they see us suffering. God says He'll look after you and you're free to represent me and follow in the footsteps of our suffering servant, King Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.